slash the MMCast. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my two co-hosts, actively, <laughs> uh, Ben Bateman and Glenn Jones, and welcome to the 300th episode of this podcast. Uh, hello, hello. I'm excited to be here. Uh, so does that is so Glenn, you're like a legacy. You're like a legacy uh, host of the show. You out. You technically outrank me. Yep, that's uh, true. You know, that's <laughs> I don't know this, about that. Is that how this works? I've done 293 episodes uh, since you left the show, but you did seven before I was here. So there, that's that's all. You know, I don't really have much to say about that. I, I, I I'm out of you. Sir. There's there's a there's a gradient episode. <laughs> there was one where both of you were there. That's true. Tour, that's true. So to there speak, was, a, a Kobe versus one. Jordan kind of uh, moment. Is that what we're getting at? Well, yeah, yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> I thought I wouldn't put myself in uh, such high regard as a podcast host. So yeah, this was fun. We can just talk for like an hour, a couple times a week, or whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was a lot of fun to do back then. Um, and yeah, like getting picked up and heading off to Wizards so shortly after it was uh, obviously like really great, uh, but also in some ways a bummer, uh, especially leaving behind so many fine friends, uh, such as the ones I have in Los Angeles. Yeah. So, so for those who don't know the way this podcast started is, uh, I met Glenn cause we were doing top decking and I met you while you were at SEG and, um, and then you moved to LA. And as you moved to LA, I was like, Jimmy and Josh had just started the command zone and I had stopped doing top decking and started working in toys and needed to make magic content because I don't know what I would do if I wasn't making magic content to some extent. <laughs> um, and uh, reached out and was like, Hey, do you want to start a podcast? Jimmy and Josh are like willing to host and I, they're like casual commander focused and we could be competitive focused. And, uh, I don't know what your, went through your head, but you said yes. <laughs> um, and then I put a bunch of foam and blankets and carpet in a weird back room at my uh, the office that I was working at, and we recorded a bunch of episodes. Um, and then I want to say it was like episode four, you found out that you got a job at Wizards? Yeah, something like that. And then you're like, I have bad news. I got a job at Wizards, uh, so I'll be moving to, to, to the north. And then... Um, Renton. And then we like, and at that point I had, we had, I think four or five people on all just kind of being like, oh, which one of these people could maybe be my new co-host? Then we had Jules Robbins on, uh, Andrew Brown, Eugene Wang, and then Ben, <laughs> three of those people network at Wizards as well. <laughs> it, was, it, was a tough, it was a tough field. It was a, it was, it was a competitive audition. Came in, I slated, <laughs> I slated for the camera. Uh, you know, there was definitely an excellent set of skills that I had to advertise myself with. And I worked a lot harder back then. Uh, yeah, well, you, you, had, you had at that point, I believe, that was the first time you sold your entire Magic collection to buy a guitar and hadn't played in like three months. But uh, you were trying to do this professionally. You were you were you were trying to be a broadcasting person. So so it ended up that skill set was really important. It was the uh, I mean, when I started hosting five years, six six years ago. No, this was 2014. Seven years ago uh, was when I started hosting, and that no, was, this wait, was the really? first year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we started we started doing the podcast together. That had to have been the spring, probably spring or the fall of fourteen. It was it was spring, I think. It was fall because it was. I, I have yeah. I have the list here to talk about. Our first episode was standard versus modern. Our second episode was cons of Tarkir, uh, set review with Marshall, who now edits the podcast. <laughs> um, the third episode was Modern Masters two predictions with Jimmy Wong. Uh, fourth was Judges Are Your Friend. Uh, the next was Band List and Birthing Pod, which is when Jules was on. This is when we did do a deck tech in every episode. Uh, tournament Prep with Eugene, mm -hmm. and then History of Modern Pro Tours with Ben, which it's funny looking seven years from ago that there was a History of Modern Pro Tours. At that point, there was maybe two years worth of modern content? Three, 2011, I think is when yeah, it started. Yeah, modern is... 
Modern is the legacy of today for yeah. so many youngsters. There was, yeah, something yeah. like when Pioneer was made, they said that at that point, there were more sets in Modern than there were in Legacy at the like the founding of Modern, the original founding of Modern mm -hmm. or something along those lines. So like the card pool is just that massive. And here we are, 10, 10 years later, I'm an old person. Yeah, it's been a long and winding road. I was It was fun getting started, you know, podcasting. Neither of us had any experience hardly in that first year. And, and that so much has changed since then. Um, which obviously we've done the podcast for seven years and, and, uh, and, and that was the beginning of, like you said, broadcasting stuff. I like, got into that from there. It was like the first thing I ever did. I, I don't think I had like done anything. Gotham's finest. If you have that memory. Is that even on the internet still? That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, they're good. And I'm much skinnier. It's very good though. <laughs> um, yeah. And it was like the last thing I did. So it panned out that way. Oh yeah. That's wild. Cause yeah, you've been, yeah, there, there's no content. Well, I mean, you've made a lot of content. It's just, it's the content we make content about in a roundabout loopy way. Um, so yeah. So welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> Glenn. Um, yeah, thanks. How's, how's life been for the last seven years? What have you been up to? Yeah, it's been really great. Uh, Definitely love love the job. Uh, big fan of Seattle as well. Uh, I actually live in Kirkland, which is like a little bit uh, off to the east and nice and not as many people. Um, so really happy with that. I'm happily married. I've got a couple of dogs, which are great. Great. Um, yeah, just just living living life. Everything's going well. I, before we started the podcast, I said, you know, as apocalypses go, this one's not not bad. It's a pretty light apocalypse. So. It, it could have <laughs> been, yeah. The way I would describe it is like on a day-to-day basis for the most part i am lucky that it is almost better i'm not traveling a thousand miles yeah. a, a, a week i like my health is better i get to hang out with my wife more often on the macro level you know there's also the like oh i'm afraid of being in the elevator with other people <laughs> uh and like yeah. just like the like small amount of terror that's like an underlying level of the year and then obviously all of the terrible things that are happening to other people in, in my life and other people's lives so so it's it's a weird it's a weird apocalypse. Yeah, I'll be watching uh, even just like old shows that I've already seen on TV, just like watching them again. And you know, people are like just in a scene, like, you know, getting close on each other talking. And I'm like, they're, they're too close. Yeah, yeah. They, sh <laughs> they should be stepping back. Like it's just the space, the distance between them is, is now looks strange. I've just been trained. I'm like rewatching um, rewatching shows from the like the, the early 2000s and like someone on a like episode, like drink out of a drink and then another person grab the drink and drink out oh, of it yeah. also and it's like no no stress so yeah it's been yeah. it's been weird but uh in the meantime you have been working at wizards I, I uh i think when you started you started doing copy editing right that was kind of the or something in that world similar yeah i was a card set editor so i was still i was working in on the design team with magic cards but yeah i was editing the rules text was my primary role since then you're now one of the main developers of the commander products generally and other stuff and and yeah what what is what is your day job like what are you where where have you where are you at now yeah so i started out doing editing uh basically when you're on in the design group you often get to like moonlight on different kinds of teams uh as a card designer sometimes just you know designing whole holes for existing sets um but i wound up actually being on every commander team from like commander 2016 forward um basically and uh, among the things that I moonlighted on was an unreleased uh, digital game. And I was just contributing to that. And my time kind of just like ramped up higher and higher as to how much time I was spending on that. And I wound up moving uh, from editing to the game design track um, at some point on there. I can't even remember what year. I think I want to say like 2018. I think that's about right. And so, uh, yeah, I continued to work on a variety of design teams from there. And then 
last year, um, I moved back to the Magic team uh, full-time and am now a senior game designer and do the technical lead for a Commander format, um, which I, I like to say I'm the Ian Duke of Commander, uh, if you're familiar with his role with regard to Standard and Modern. Uh, so yeah, I, I kind of supervise a group of designers who all lead Commander products, uh, occasionally lead some products myself, and just kind of keep an eye on everything that's rolling and how it's going to impact Commander. Do you find that you love the Commander format, like uh, over all formats, or do you find that working closer to it, uh, you kind of have the, you know, you're so you're so close to it that you, sometimes you get excited about other ones a little more? It's interesting because like I I can kind of find things fun uh, with enough repetition in general. So like sometimes yeah. I, I even question like how much of the things I love is a symptom of just being like adjacent to them for like a long enough amount of time or just like, oh yeah, that like really speaks to me. Um, I do, I do think commander really speaks to me. There's just like a lot of cool stuff going on. It's a, it's a like kind of, it's a wild west at the same time as it's not. And there's this like malleability to the rules and the expectations that are really interesting. Like you can make, there are, there are mistakes that we make as designers um, that are very obvious mistakes occasionally with regard to uh, other constructed formats. And in, in commander, any mistake, like you can really argue from a contextual standpoint uh, and I think that that is fascinating as a game designer and also as a player that there are so many things where you're like, oh, maybe this was wrong. Like, maybe it was right. You will never really know because so much of what makes the format fun and how people enjoy it is wrapped up in their own individual social contracts, which are made and be made uh, like every time they play. Well, Alex, you know, had worked for years to kind of get me to embrace Commander. It was something he had tried for a long time to do. And I had been somewhat resistant to it for a long time because I and, and I've shared this before, but I'll share it again. I really connect to the way cards are and classically have been designed. The sort of one on one 20 life. Uh, you can't really be affected by like an unforeseen thing. You know, somebody can't just decide to stop you from winning because they feel like it. Right. And so um, I never connected to that because I, I found I didn't like it didn't add up in my brain the same way that normal normal one v one magic did. And I actually think that a lot of the card designs over the last several years in the commander product it's been some of the stuff that's pushed me more towards really loving it and starting to embrace it. I mean, specifically, you know, we built decks with commander legends cards uh, for our streams. And I, like I built a jury deck. I had so much fun with that. Arami is one that I'm playing that I have so much fun with. These are cards that like they, they feel pushed and they feel exciting and they feel cool, but they're low CMC. They're not like some giant seven mana six, six that I have to like talk myself into playing. They feel much more like cards that would be my style, and I could see playing them in a 1v1 format, except that Arami is a classic example. I don't want to kill my opponents because I want to have more of you out <laughs> there to get more copies of my things. Uh, and so I think it's, I think it's really interesting. I've, I've been really excited about the designs um, that, that pertain to Commander. I think it's really exciting. Yeah, I think Arami is a very clever design. Uh, Commander Legends is one of my favorite products that we've released, and it was a, a delight to play test and work on. I didn't get to work on it that closely because I was just busy with a ton of other stuff at the time. Um, and it was in, in the oven for quite a while. Uh, but every, every time I play test it, had a ton of fun. And I think Jules like really hit it out of the park. I use a lot of the designs of legendary creatures in that set as examples when I'm trying to talk to other designers now about like, you know, these are the kinds of things that I think are really healthy and that we really enjoy uh, in contrast to commander designs that we've tried uh, in the even in the more recent past, and wound up being like, eh, you know, this is a little too aggressive, or this is a little too solved. Like, we want to try and make sure that there are a lot of hooks, um, but that you still have to put in a fair amount of work in order to get your deck. 
Yeah, I I think that that's a that's a fair way to put it. I mean, Alex, when we're talking about kind of Commander now versus Commander a few years ago, do you think your experience now with the cards that are designed and the way that just a set feels when you read the cards, uh, does it feel drastically different than it did, say, like Commander 2014? It's interesting, right? Like, there's definitely more... Cutting cards is harder. <laughs> uh, there's just, like, so many cool things you want to play with and, and yeah. powerful things excuse me, powerful things that you like kind of need to play with that, like figuring out that last 30 cards has become uh probably, and that's like, that's the problem with every eternal format, right? Like, like in modern and legacy, all of that kind of works the same way. It's just like every card that's printed, that's good is edging out cards that aren't. And it's the reason modern has evolved as it has. Um, So, so it's always like, I'd say that I, the, like the other thing is there's just more, diversity in what you can do in the format which is really cool right like that's that's like what one thing that was definitely true of like 2015 commander was like there were one option for all of the three color enemy color wedges color combos you had the dragons and that was it and then they came out with the commander product and that opened that up and and that's true of four color and that's true of even like a lot of the two color options was just there's a lot of more diversity and options for every color combo that you could build a deck around. And that's like the first step, especially in commander where color identity matters. So I would say that's the big difference is just like there's more you can do. Uh, and the, and that's one of the cool things about commander legends is like that has now expanded that to through what is it? 3000 more combinations of possible commanders that are available. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Color is certainly no longer any kind of constraint on what you're doing. It's interesting, too, because, I mean, classically, like when I would go and I'd look at like a I'm, I'm at five, six, seven years ago, you'd go to a store and you'd see the game of Commander and it would be like somebody was probably playing like Promat uh, so they could just play all of the cards that they wanted to play. Right. And you're like and they're like, yeah, this card's just in here because it's a five color commander. Right. And like, like, OK, that makes sense. And then I think about as as it's developed, you guys look at the four color and the five color cards and like Brea is a great example of a card where that card's so good. Ray is so powerful. It's so pushed. Um, what an incredible version of a four-color commander. Like, it's so much better than just the incidental four-color legendary creature that would have been printed, you know, 10 years earlier, right? Like, it's made so specifically to fit into that. Um, and I, I think that that's, I think it's one of the coolest things. I like playing with powerful cards. I think playing with powerful cards is awesome. Um, and, you know, when they feel like they're efficient like that, they're exciting, they get you value, uh, and they don't cost six or more. Uh, I'm all about it. So, and I do think what you said, kind of about how Commander is less sticky. Uh, I guess is the word I'm going to use, to, or like it, it's less. Its mistakes are less solid. The fact that you can take something, if it is problematic, a lot of the times the format itself is going to just like hate it out from a from a political perspective almost or from a social perspective more than than yeah. anything else yeah i think that that is just a really interesting part of the format uh and, and it's kind of a symptom i'm I'm fond of saying internally that like we have an audience that's going to grade their decks from one to ten so i'm going to make cards for the ones and i'm going to make cards for the tens and that's kind of just the nature of it like they're everyone's going to figure out what goes where for themselves and there i'm sure that there are cards where we're going to be eventually like you know, really wish we hadn't done that or whatever. Um, but in the end, like it only has so much impact it can really have uh, since so much of the format is self-regulated to that to that extent. Um, and in the event where like we're like, this might be a mistake, but also it might just be really, really fun for one of these groups and be like their favorite thing about the format. And when you're trying to balance all those decisions, like 
the the decision where you you know that there's going to be an audience for it that's going to enjoy it and be happy you made it. Uh, you have to be pretty sure that you're messing up in order to want to really correct that out. I guess a question I that would be interesting is is you mentioned kind of the one through ten rating rating scale that people do. Uh, what is your guys' thought on that process? What how how do you guys <laughs> face power level <laughs> concerns? So I have. Uh, I have a pretty different view about what would be ideal uh, for the co- for the community to use to, co- to govern their decks. And I've actually seen a decent number of content creators um, kind of tiptoe around the, the exact thing that I like. Um, and someone even wrote an article, and I feel so bad that I'm not going to remember who it is. Um, but it, it was it was just some blog that I got sent, and because one of my coworkers saw it and was just like, isn't this like your thing? And I'm like, that's almost exactly my thing. Um, and, and basically the idea is like everyone shows up kind of seeking a specific kind of game experience more so than a specific power level of, of experience. And I think that's the thing that people would match make best with. Um, and there's almost like a matrix kind of to it where it's like, you know, I want to play like a really long, lengthy game, but I want really powerful stuff to be happening. That's very different from I want to play a long, lengthy game because we're all playing these slow decks full of like dinosaurs and baylets or whatever. Like those are two different things, and they might take the same amount of time, but the decks are totally different. Um. So yeah, I, I will, that's kind of the thing I want people to do is kind of like pursue the specific kind of game experience they want. Like, do, do they want this to be like purely kind of a social hangout? Um, are they trying to tell a story with their deck? Are they trying to have a challenge are they trying to like race as hard as they can into the light uh, with everyone else like those are all three pretty different ways to approach commander um but they're all valid and the the real thing we want is just to make sure they all get matched up correctly and in a lot of cases like you know if your deck's really strong but you're trying to tell a story and someone else is trying to tell a story like you can make that game fun for everyone um i, I know the new cag member rachel weeks has uh, a lasagna tier idea where like everyone's trying to make a good experience. And that is also like, uh, it's not, that's not necessarily like my philosophy, but it is in line with uh, what I think both our philosophies try to achieve, which is that like everyone sitting at the table is in pursuit of a similar goal. And they all have an understanding, a common understanding at the start of the game about like what that goal is, whether it's we're trying to beat each other up on turn three or whatever, um, or we're here for two hours, sit, get ready, you know, get a cushion. <laughs> Well, it's fascinating to me because the again, as I've learned and I've started to actually understand the sort of the nature of politics and also the nature of like what a what a gameplay experience is kind of supposed to feel like. You know, Alex and I will go after each other often and get the games that we play because we'll have two guests come on the show. We do we do a stream on Mondays now where we do this every week and like it's just kind of I, number one. Often we don't know the guests super well, so we don't want to be like real aggro with like other community members. So it's safest to just kind of like harass each other. That's like a number one thing. And then the second thing is like often um, I feel more comfortable knowing that Alex plays with powerful stuff that he'll recover. That I kind of know how he likes to build his decks. I think he feels the same way about me. So like, but it is an interesting phenomenon because I if somebody's at five and it happens early in the game and you have the opportunity to kill them. I mean, you should kill them because you want to win and kill the most people. On the other hand, if you do that, it's not going to be fun for them. They're going to sit there and they're going to be watching and they're going to not have a good experience. And so like figuring that out for me has been really difficult. Like when do you, when, what kind of, like how much damage do you do to someone or like what strategy do you employ? How do you want to win? I have a Joyra deck that I kind of am never going to play again because it's all like, it's just all like <laughs> obliterates and extra turn cards. And it's pretty efficient at doing it. It's a pretty good deck. It like does a good job at it. 
but I played it a few times and it like did the thing and it was like miserable for everyone. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I was like, I get this. This is like, there's, there's a point here. This is more powerful than other things I could be doing. It plays a lot of sick time spiral cards that I love, but also uh, it like is not fun at all. It's not the thing you're talking about. It, it is, it is a game that is just a big hammer of like effect. Yeah. And it does create a positive experience for people. So Figuring that aspect of it out, I think, is one of the sort of more fascinating parts of Commander. It's totally different. That's the most different thing than than regular 1v1 magic. There's nothing like that in regular 1v1 magic. You have a singular goal, and there's a singular way to do it. You reduce their life total to 20 as fast as you possibly can. That's it. Yeah, that's uh, you bring up Shoira, and that's actually interesting, because one of the things I do in my role uh, internally is I give a seminar on kind of like the philosophy behind designing Commander as, as kind of like a, a how-to guide or just an introduction to it for designers who might not necessarily be that familiar with the format. Um, and one of the examples I actually use from the, directly from the seminar, and one day I actually hope to be able to share like some sanitized version of this seminar with people, is like, is Joira. Because uh, like the, the one from Time Spiral Block, the first Joira, the guy to, is a really like powerful, appealing card. And people kind of, don't like playing against it for exactly the reason you described, right? They like view what it does as like very unfun and the power level it exists at as very, very high. And then we made this Joyra in Dominaria that is also very powerful and is really beloved and very popular. Uh, and I actually think it's like a dramatically stronger card than the first one. Like yeah. it's way more consistent at winning. Uh, like on every level, if you're trying to go pedal to the metal, like the Dominaria one is going to serve you better. Uh, but it is so much more widely accepted because of what people are doing with it. It's it's just the kind of game that they're pursuing and how they go about it. And that's enough for the social contract to which one's okay and which one's not. Well, and, and part of it is what's what's most powerful to be doing with the original Joyra are things that remove fun, right? It's destroying all lands. Mm-hmm. It's taking an infinite turn. It's taking a bunch of turns. Where new Joyra, the most powerful thing it's doing is doing a lot of stuff personally. You're not stopping your opponents from doing it. You might take a 30 minute turn, <laughs> but yeah. uh, you're not, you're not like stealing the actions from other people and what they're doing in the game. Um, which I think is like, I think that's like a big line between what people like and don't like in commander is in a, a lot of the time. Um, but uh, really quick, going back to Ben's one point about not removing a player, or removing a player. I also think that like, I have found that player removal is strategically often the wrong thing to do uh, from the perspective that that's one of the resource that your two opponents still have to deal with, right? Like why I don't care if I get the, I don't need the point for killing a person. What I need is to be the last person alive. And so by me getting that point, I'm now allowing my opponents to not spend their resources to do that. And so that's always kind of been my, the strategy on why not to kill someone versus the like being a good host on our podcast mm-hmm. show stream <laughs> <laughs> reason. Yeah. It's fascinating how those two cards, like the response to them was so drastic. And part of it is like Joyra is such a cool character, right? Like that's, I think relatively beloved, if not actively beloved. So like having these two cards that are both one is more powerful and one is more trolly is interesting how people react. Well, it's also, I think, I think the thing about the, the Joyra of the G2 one, like, it kind of you're instructed with like one way to play that card, which is like play the most expensive things you can for cheaper at instant speed. And there aren't that many things that are super expensive that aren't kind of actively unfun. Like the splashiest, you know, if you want to play time stretch, which is like what I did in one of our games. And I think I twin casted it. Like 
it it's awesome. It's great to cast a time stretch, but like games in Commander where I don't get to take my turn for a long time are my least favorite kinds of games. It's my biggest complaint yeah. with Commander is sitting there waiting as like people chat and I'm just like, I just want to play, like play faster so I can get to my turn. So it's like taking extra turns is the worst thing ever. It's the same thing with destroying lands because like then you can't play magic. That's not fun at all. So, you know, don't do that. And so like, but it you have to kind of go through that experience, I think, to learn to learn that, um, which is something that, you know, that's my favorite set of all time, Future Side. And that was the first card I ever took to like a sanctioned magic tournament. Uh, I tried to build a uh, Dragonstorm, except it was with Joyra, Niv-Mizzet, and Ophidian Eye. I took out all the Dragonstorm <laughs> cards, and I like made this really oh, no. version that like suspended Niv-Mizzet and like flashed in Ophidian Eye to try to like win the game. It was so much worse, but I like was really excited about it. So um, I've always had like a really special place in my heart for Joyra. But I but mm-hmm. I do think again when you um when you talk about the the reason that newer Joyra is so much more widely accepted, I think it's because like taking a really long turn if you're just drawing a lot of cards and like doing a lot of things, you're like dinking and dunking. I think people are just more forgiving of because it's like, you're running your, you're, you're running your engine. That's, that's the fun. That's the fun thing about magic, right? The more things you can do, the more cards you can play, the more interaction you have. Um, that's, so I guess that, that brings me back to the initial question I had about how you win, because I found myself Alex last night after our game, I said to our guests, like, you know, thanks for hanging with us guys. Like, I was like, sorry for winning that way, right? But I was like, I was thinking like, in what way do you win a game of Commander that you don't feel the need to apologize a little bit? Does that make sense? How Like, it always feels a little bit like I probably did something that made your deck less powerful. I probably interacted with you in some way or took some really long turn or did something huge. How do you win in a way that doesn't make it feel like... Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I get what you're saying. I don't think I've ever apologized for winning a game of Commander. Uh, or if I did, it was because like... I made a mistake on a card where it's like, oh yeah, that commander should cost like six, not four. Sorry. Um, that's probably about as close to feeling bad about it as I've ever felt. <laughs> um, but I think that that's a, a good demonstration of like, there are just a range of responses. And, you know, certainly I come from a spot where I don't tend, I don't tend to like take people out early either. Uh, you know, I'm there to make sure that we're all having like a similar experience. And I usually want an experience where everyone plays. Um, I don't play much CEDH. If I did, uh, I'm sure like in those games, I would be much more willing to take someone out because I would know like they're, they're not dead until they are really dead. Um, whereas in other spots, uh, it's, it can be harder to come back from various things. Um, so yeah, like when it comes to play testing though, obviously we basically never do that. Like you, people are mostly immortal in play tests, uh, unless we're trying to find some kind of like stress test. Uh, because, you know, once you eliminate someone from a playtesting game, it's like now you're not getting the information on either how your cards work against their cards or how their cards work at all, um, right. which is the goal of what we're doing. So we obviously we're totally doing a totally different thing. Like we're not playing to have fun. We're on the clock. Uh, but at the same time, it's in some ways uh, a more accurate simulation of the kind of experience we expect people to actually have. So, so I guess that's a question that I, I realize I don't know the answer to is like, there's a lot of content there on how magic 1v1 is play tested or like, what does mm-hmm. that look like? And like that design philosophy, how does, how do you guys do commander? How does that work even? Do you like, yeah, I guess do you just, everyone has infinite life and you're just trying to see what every card does or how does it function? <laughs> uh, no, we mostly just play the games. Um, like in the case of legends, you know, like we would do a draft, we would sit down, we would play the games. Um, we give feedback, uh, we have like forms, uh, usually the set leader will have some questions they always want answered and then some additional questions that are like really specific or guided towards whatever they're currently working on. And when we're working on fixed deck products, 
we'll have people just play whatever decks we currently have uh, put together and be updating them with both the reprints and the new cards as we kind of see fit to believe we'll be printing them. Um, but we will do the occasional thing, like have a stack of new cards off to the side to have people just replace their draw with every now and then to make sure that those cards are actually getting seeded into the game. Because if you just play your reprint deck for you know an hour and a half, that's not really helpful to any of us uh, other than to learn a little bit about the new commander. So we, we do that kind of thing just to make sure everything feels good. And then towards the end, uh, we're just playing a lot and just playing it straight up. It's just like, hey, is this a commander game? And a lot of that is because we are stress testing that real-world experience. We schedule our meetings in two-hour blocks. If we can't finish a commander playtest in two hours, how can we expect the audience to finish a commander game inside of two hours? That's the kind of thing we want to make sure that we're actually hitting accurately. So uh, the closer things get to conclusion, the more and more like the real world our playtests uh, start to look. How do you get involved in the process of uh, like standard release sets or, or, or Modern Horizons or, sure. or anything like that? Yeah, that's something that uh, has changed a lot in the last... What is time... It doesn't um, exist anymore. Like months, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so when I shifted to this new role, uh, that was one of the things I said about figuring out how we should do this and what should change is how do we incorporate um, commander subject matter expertise into the design of our standard sets? Because standard, you know, standard cards go into commander. Uh, a lot of them can be very impactful. Sometimes the impact is incidental. Sometimes it's purposeful. Um, and my philosophy of making decisions is every decision should be purposeful. So let's try and make as many of them that way as possible. Uh, so we now have some additional check-ins basically, uh, before the set goes to FFL or uh, play design, where it will be primarily pushed for like game balance and game gameplay experience. The commander group that I've assembled internally at wizards, uh, will review the set and offer a lot of, uh, advice to the set lead about, which cards they think people will really enjoy, which cards they think people you know, won't really feel strongly about one way or another, and which cards might actually impact the format negatively or make people less excited to play Commander at all. Uh, and this is just to give the set lead, being them, uh, a baseline foundation kind of to know this is where my set currently is with this specific audience. And as I now go to work with game balance, I know how the decisions I make are going to affect my set's appeal with regard to the Commander audience. Um, so, you know, maybe a card needs to change for standard reasons and it becomes a card that's not going to be very fun for Commander. And that's just, you know, that the price of doing business. That That is what that set is designed to do is be a standard set. Late in FFL, like once they kind of are like, this is what the set looks like. We're feeling good about it. We're probably going to print something very, very close to this. We'll do another review. And this one will focus. Uh, it'll give advice on all the cards, but it'll focus m mostly on the cards that are not aimed at a competitive constructive format. Because those are the cards that are going to wind up being primarily for commander players and if they're not for commander players they're going to wind up being for very very few people uh, because they no longer have you know any of our largest audiences as far as like direct targeting goes um so that's a stage where we get to make some changes or maybe design a new card for something that wound up not working out and it's also the stage where we'll do very small things like you know this says target opponent could it be each opponent like just just sure. because now it's a little bit more fun in multiplayer obviously we don't do that like everywhere um, but that kind of small change can just help a card have a better shot, uh, which is all we're really trying to do is make sure every card has a shot to show up somewhere uh, and be fun. So by and large, the cards printed from about 1996 to about 2011 feel like they are significantly less powerful than the cards that started probably getting printed around cons like ish. I would say like 
uh, sorry, cons a little later, so, like New Phyrexia. Like basically a lot of experimenting with free spells, mm-hmm. a lot of experimenting with cheaper stuff. And then obviously just the, the rate just started getting pushed a lot as we got into the, the last few years. So when you look at all these cards that have come up in the last several years and over different formats, whether you're talking about current Omnath or you're talking about, you know, Three Fairy or you're talking about like uh, Uro, you know, Oko, uh, just just this huge number of cards that are so, 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 so pushed. What is it about current magic design, like the last three or four years that you think has led to so many of those cards? Because it didn't just start three or four years ago, right? It's it's general power creep started 10 years ago, but it's really in the last three yeah. or four it's really started to push. So there's certainly been like a general upward trend of power creep from like the, I mean, I guess not the inception of magic. Black Lotus is pretty strong, uh, but from like, you know, Ice Age uh, kind that's of forward. Like that's why I said 96. Yeah, right? yeah. I, I left out the yeah. original. Homeland's on. <laughs> there's definitely been that like general upward trend. And that's something you see in the vast majority of games uh, that function any in any way like magic, um, just by kind of a virtue of necessity. There have been a couple of, not I mean, more than a couple probably, but like some very conscious choices within the design team uh, over the last few years. Like even just just since I've been at Wizards, like design philosophy has changed and evolved. We've written already. Uh, there's a decent number of articles on the website about the fire philosophy, which we do use. Uh, we do ask ourselves like, is this card fun, inviting, replayable, uh, exciting? Those are all things that matter to us, um, and and are really important. And pushing on those, it's just been shown to have a, a dramatic effect. Uh, we've got Magic's doing really, really well right now. Um, we've got Commander players coming in at unheard of rates. And overall, Fire Philosophy certainly has more risks. Like the banned cards in Standard are... Uh, we, we take it seriously, and it's an acknowledged possibility that we're going to have just more banned cards in the undertaking of this philosophy, um, or cards that are towing that line. Um, but we always should have had some number, right? Like, if you're never thinking about banning a card, you're not being experimental enough. Like, you're not pushing the envelope. Um, and that's kind of where Magic had settled into uh, after, like, Jay Stoneforge, is, like, the power level in Magic was relatively flat and kind of sitting there for a while. Um, and it has ramped up recently. And that's for a lot of reasons. I mean, we've all... There are a lot of things, and people have different opinions about the best things about Fire Philosophy. Uh, from my perspective... Like, I've seen a lot of card games come and go, and one of the things that really does pull in players to card games, whether the card game has, like, a lot of staying power or not, is just, like, the ceiling on what's possible. And by raising our ceiling a little bit, um, we can we can make some really exciting things happen and acquire a similar kind of audience, except we have the strength of Magic's gameplay system and its game engine to keep that audience and entertain them and make them lifelong fans of a really great game. The other thing that I think has happened that is really different from those older products is that we've raised the floor, which people talk about a little bit less, but I think that's one of the reasons you see a lot of draft formats um, being very exciting these days, is that these these low-level cards that you just would never really want to put in a deck, but you did sometimes, like you know 2B, 2, 3 Vanilla Minotaur or whatever, um, those cards are just gone. Like We just don't put those cards in the sets anymore. Uh, and I think that that's also uh, a part of Fire Philosophy, that goes understated, but does contribute to making magic both more fun, uh, but also feel more powerful because on average, the cards are more powerful. Like the floor is just not as low as it used to be. Well, I think there's something to that, right? So there's, there's the, there's the number one thing, which is we've talked about this a lot, but like you look back to Ixalan and like, it's a good example of Mm -hmm. when the power level is not high and it, it, and, and none of those cards 
not none, but very few of those cards in retrospect feel exciting. They don't feel like cards that you really want to go back to. The, as you mentioned, the Fire Philosophy, the replayable, there's a high number of those cards that do not feel replayable. For the things that are most exciting are just inherent features of dinosaur, vampire, uh, yeah. pirate plane, Merfolk. right? Like, like the yeah, giant yeah. dinosaur commander is still exciting, but it is hard to not yeah. be exciting as a giant three-colored dinosaur. <laughs> and it's sweet to have, like, it's sweet, it's great to have a merfolk lord and, and I have a vampire lord, and there's some things in there that are cool, but but on the whole, I think the thing you're talking about that I think is really cool, and this just goes for every format, it's that when you open a pack and you go through your cards, it's that every single card in the pack at least is a card that you would like to remember the name of. And when I was a kid and I got into magic, like I, I really enjoyed magic a lot. I had like a great memory for card names. Like there's a long stretch of magic where I like knew every card name. It's way, I'm way worse at it the last five or 10 years. But, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't have that virtue of being a little kid anymore where every card matters to me. So when you get older players who get into it, if they don't stand out, they won't matter to you. You'll never remember them. You won't remember they exist. And that's bad on every level. It's bad for the artists because their incredible piece of art just kind of gets washed away it's bad for the fact that you won't be excited. You'll you'll just you'll literally just flip to the rare, which you know you don't really want players just opening a pack and flipping to the rare. You'd rather they look at every card, new players to look at every card and remember every card. So I think raising that floor is a really really great conscious decision you guys have made, and I've noticed that as well. So uh, one question I had, like, obviously with Magic Arena and Best of One becoming a much, much more heavily played format, like optionality has kind of seemed like it's taken more of a look mm -hmm. at the forefront with split cards, now modal, modal dual face cards, cycling, everything else. Um, Commander kind of can take advantage of that because it has similar constraints that Best of One has, which is you get one game. every you, Like, you, there's no cyborg. There's no, like, optionality to be able to modify your deck to be better against specific matchups. How does How do those two, how does that, like, kind of onus on both ends affect the commander design process and how do you affect best of one design process uh, on the other end i think in general that trend you're right to observe it for standard sets uh that is certainly something that we pay attention to is making sure that there are like best of one style sideboard cards almost um that people can justify main decking and i think on the whole that is just good for commander because it has a similar thing going on but also like commanders a format where niche uh, niche ways to interact with your opponent come up way more often because there's such a range of potential strategy to have to face. Uh, so overall, I, I'm really happy with it. I mean, I, the Zendikar uh, MDFCs are like the most obvious uh, example of a bunch of cards that have just been like really gleefully adopted by a ton of commander players. because It's like, oh, I can put a land or, you know, like this protective spell in my deck. And previously that was a decision and now it's not. Now I just get both. Um, and I don't have to worry about having one when the other would be good. Uh, so I think it's uh, definitely just really beneficial for Commander. We don't put a whole lot of, like, Commander team talking to Standard team about, like, what each thing should be. Because honestly, like, the, the people designing Standard sets, very smart, very experienced. Like, they know how to make a good Magic card. Uh, and a lot of those good Magic cards wind up just by virtue of the sheer numbers in which we make them being uh, great adds to Commander. And we'll point out when something is, like, you know, not a great ad or could be better... Um, or could be worse uh, in some cases. Uh, but but generally speaking, like hitting their targets for standard will often serve up a lot of great hits for commander, and we don't have to kind of go out of our way to make that happen. Um, sometimes we do. Uh, you know, every, every now and then, some card will do really well on a, a rare poll, and it'll, it'll wind up being like, oh, you know, like that should not be in the commander set. It should be in the standard set, because it plays a lot more like a 1v1 card, and it was really, really popular, so that's the right 
place for it. And it's like, yeah, to- totally true. Kind of on a similar note is is basically almost since I th- want to say Dominaria, like legendary creatures have fallen into lower rarities. It feels like a lot more often. Part of that is is is, is it, it, it seems like a continuation of the like there's a gold card and and every color combo at common to signify like this is the strategy of that color combo and draft for new players. But some of it just feels like there's like just more legendaries than ever before. How much of that? Was Commander, how much of that is 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 just happenstance or, or because they're popular? Sure. I think that specific thing is kind of a, almost like a chicken and the egg type thing. It's like people really like Legends, uh, always have. And as we've made them uh, more and more a part of our stories and our gameplay, like manifesting them uh, at a higher, uh, as fan, like a, a higher frequency at which you'll see it uh, when you open a pack, just means that opening packs is more fun and engaging for players. That interest, obviously, I think a lot of it comes from Commander players because they're more likely to be interested in Legends specifically uh, than other types of cards, perhaps. But it really is just, uh, you know, packs do well when they have Legends. Dominaria was a very strong set. It was popular. It sold well. No no, uh, no shockers there. Uh, and the trend line has continued, and we just are continuing to do it and kind of seeing, like, what does the world look like when we emphasize the legendary characters of our set, when we build fuller worlds that more significantly realize these characters than just having like the occasional one-off attribution and flavor text. Um, how can we make them feel like a bigger part of a, of a world? And for me, it adds a lot of immersion to feel like, you know, when I open a pack, I'm like going around corners, bumping into people that are on this plane. It's not just like I see, you know, a couple every 10 packs or whatever at the, at the rare slot. They're, they're everywhere now. It's also like a thing of like, it, it means that not every single uh, character is necessarily going to be more powerful than just any other creation in that world, which I think historically, like the idea of a legendary was that 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 legendary would be more powerful than like any non-legendary thing. And so there was an added level of just like, if you open it, it's like, whoa, you know, but the truth Mm -hmm. is you guys are trying to get sort of more people into commander. It's a very successful format for, for wizards. It makes a lot more sense that you'd want to open a, you'd want to open an uncommon uh, legendary creature. If somebody buys, if somebody buys three packs, they may never see a legendary creature, right? It's a fail from a getting while, a new yeah. player into the commander format. But if there are like mm-hmm. in Kaldheim, like these really cool, uh, you know, uncommon commanders, like what, what's the green one that I like the Fang, the death touch guy that uh, two counters been the Fang bearer. Yeah. yeah Finn no, Fang bearer. Yeah. Look at you getting a name. I couldn't get fantastic uh i like that card's sweet right like that card's super awesome if you open that as an uncommon in your pack like you're like oh this is cool mono green commander i could i could probably just do like a search on gatherer for like what's out there to build with this card sounds great you know that's it i think that's a good move yeah i think there's also just leaving out commander there's the uh like characters people like characters They, they like to see people that they can identify with or that have a story um in their games and uncommon it's just a place that lets us position characters like if you open a pack you it's hard for you to bond with you know like woolly thoktar it's like i don't really get what he's about uh but <laughs> he's, uh, like he's... the thing bear it's like okay i'm starting to like gain an inkling of this guy's story and maybe there's some part of that that speaks to me yeah i think also with that too um i can remember all those experiences of like 
in time spiral, like if high arcanist and all these characters, like mm-hmm. I remember like, you know, opening those rares and being like, Oh, this is so cool. I know all these names. Like I've known these names from other cards. I know something like this is amazing, you know? Like, and so I think it's very cool when you introduce the ability for people to get familiar with those characters uh, at a lower rarity. Cause it, it makes their future experience. If they stick with the game that much greater when references and flavor text or other things do reference those. I mean, I mean, as I'm sure you guys know, all of the those planeswalk that's like an early example of it, right? Like the planeswalkers that then have like Chandra's this, Chandra's that, Garrick's this, Jace's this. Um, it makes those new players that get into the game connect on a much higher level with their commons and their uncommons. Well, and it's interesting that because like planeswalkers can't very easily be at lower rarities, so or or not in a way that is common enough to like be resonant in 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 a regular way uh throughout time <laughs> but like legendaries can like they don't change very much about a card if anything legendary is a drawback right so like it allows you to connect to the story and characters of worlds a lot more commonly than previously before where like you'd open packs and just like not care about anything about the world just like oh this is a three two for three that's good in this format great can we just acknowledge for a second alex that uh, it only occurred to me last night, just before we played our game, that Coca Show should be in my Arami deck. If I put a Coca Show into play with Arami, I 45 <laughs> the table. I automatically 45 the table, and I also get to attack with one of them because two automatically die, <laughs> which is that's such an epic play. Also, Glenn, just just for just for because I was so proud of this. This is how my uh, I took out two people last night. So I have the guy who creates he copies the thing in the graveyard two mana demir guy lazav yeah so i've got lazav in play right so i so i uh attack with a dreadnought that's in my graveyard lazav becomes dreadnought for one right and i've also created an agent of treachery with my arami so i i put three agent of treacheries in play steal three things go for my attacks right which is already sweet i get in end of turn the three agent of treacheries all die but before they die i turn my dude into the blood artist that's in my graveyard uh and so then when my agent of treacheries all die i killed two people with the triggers of those guys dying because there was two people at three and four and something else happened it was a very Uh, satisfying i went down to two and then died on the opponent's turn when (laughs) he like attacked and drained everyone for two additionally it was Sad. So you're not going to give me credit for this? <laughs> no, okay, yeah, you didn't fair. get the kill. We, you just <laughs> talked about how you want the I kill. I'm not giving it one. to you. I got you to one. Okay. <laughs> and I survived. Last last question on kind of the design philosophy, and then we can kind of jump into more uh, into uh, other things. Something that has happened recently is like there's a, obviously a ton more commander product, uh, and and I don't know if it is officially announced or if it if it just happens for the last couple sets is happening. But there are now commander sets often re- released alongside standard sets and and, and they kind of come out with the mechanics of each other. So is that part of kind of the process you're talking before during the set send off and looking over it? When do you start incorporating the new cards into the commander sets you're building that are now coming out in, coinciding with standard sets? Uh, I mean, I can't speak to the future yeah, yeah, uh, in that regard, but yeah, certainly we have developed a number of commander products in sync with standard sets. Um, at this point, we've done it a couple times. And it's definitely a unique collaborative process from what we previously did with um, like Commander 2019, which was the last set uh, I led that's been released um, and was not synced in this way. Uh, it's a unique challenge because obviously you're, you know that they're both coming out at the same time and they need to not only like kind of not overtake each other, but ideally it's like an active complement. Like they, each one makes the other look better um, and side by side they kind of Float, float one another's boats. Um, 
So that's a really important part of design. So, you know, we want things to emphasize each other's good qualities uh, and assuming there are bad qualities uh, to not necessarily emphasize those. Uh, Ikoria Commander was like the first big go at this. And it was pretty interesting because we wanted to make sure that the deck playing the decks felt like you were taking part in the world of Ikoria more so than just playing like cool commander decks. Uh, like C19 was very much cool commander decks. So we wanted them to feel like these mechanics, like your flashback deck should feel like you're flashbacking, your madness deck should feel like you're madnessing. Um, but as far as like whatever standards that was coming out at the time, that wasn't important. There was no like creative conceit going on um, about like wh- exactly what was happening. Uh, but here we were very much, you know, like there's this idea of people and monsters and partnering and we, and we want to kind of bring all of that out if we can. So Ikoria like actually started out with an enchantment deck uh, before we like really got into a hard design on it. And that was removed in favor of the Cathville deck uh, in, in part because we wanted that vibe of like, this is, you know, keyword counters is what Ikoria is like debuting. It's a major KSP. We should be showcasing it. We should find a way to make it loud and obvious. And that if somebody finds this exciting, they'll also find this exciting. And that's not anything against Abzan Enchantments. I'm sure we'll make that deck one day. It's a, a fine deck and theme, but it's not an Ikoria deck and theme. So regardless of its merit and quality, it just wouldn't belong with the set. Um, and then other things in the set, like you know, the cycling deck and the the teamer kind of like instance deck. How do we make those feel like they are part of this Ikoria world? So that's why you see like the big monster that revives a bunch of cycling cards. It's like, that's an awesome, like Ikoria card, you know, like maybe in Innistrad or whatever, that card would be like flat, be like a sorcery that brings stuff out. But no, here it's got to be a huge monster. Um, and the teamer instance deck, it's like got this attacky, these, a couple of actually like commanders that are like attack and get awesome benefits. And it feels like you're playing with this creature as your, your kind of a uh, companion uh, in, in a sense. And so those were, parts of that design process that aren't even, we're not even like really into the gritty mechanical stuff yet. We're just like what captures the feel of being in the world of Ikoria and how do we deliver on that? So we put ourselves through the ringer on that one. Cause I think we tried a lot harder and it was very new and we made uh, more missteps than we might've otherwise just along the path. Uh, but I was pretty happy with it and it was a really interesting lesson. We learned a lot from it. And then, you know, we've come back and we did it with uh, Zendikar Rising. And there it's a much lighter touch where it's really just these decks feel like they're there. Like these characters are at home in the world. Anawan is obviously like someone you already know and can recognize. Um, And they tie into the mechanics of the set without necessarily like inundating you with what the whole set is about. Which, you know, when you're doing like a five deck, five faction world, like the commander product is going to feel massive. Um, But for Zendikar Rising and Kaldheim, we have these like lighter touches that tie in a bit and just give you kind of a glimpse into what it's like to be on those two planes. It's interesting because with uh, with Ikoria, like obviously the one the one part of Ikoria and Companion was a little unbalanced. Like we saw that with the rule change and all that and the banning, um, at least the one piece of it, the, the Luris piece of it. But like, you know, that was a that was a big swing that you guys took. On the other hand, I remember reading when those cards were initially spoiled. And I remember like Eric was a friend of ours who plays a lot of magic. We were like, mutates so hard to like conceptualize. It's like so confusing when you read it. And I was like, ah, I don't know. And then obviously, like when we play mutate now, I it's just like second nature, right? It feels exactly like every other ma- magic mechanic. It took like all of two days to just immediately digest it. But you know, that's that's like that or like adventures. Anytime you guys kind of swing for it with something, sometimes like with companion, it's it you know it's not realized exactly the way that you want to. Sometimes it's a little confusing for us, but we get it right away. 
And sometimes it's just silky smooth. Like cycling is a great example of a long time ago where it's just like, this is just a great addition to the game. This just makes magic way better. You know, the 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 lean into way more double face cards makes a lot of sense. Everything you were talking about, it's pretty much like dead on. Magic is more fun when the cards you draw can do more things. So, you well, know. yeah, that was that was a thing uh, in regards to that, which I thought was interesting <laughs> is is it, is it is also applicable to modern, right? Like not to bring it back to modern, but uh, <laughs> the theme of the podcast. Uh, but the um, <laughs> like. I think even like it was at its heyday when we were still recording together, which was modern has always had this like ships passing in the night vibe to it, because just like there are so many strategies out there that how can you hedge your bets against everything? And like at one point, PV, uh, Paulo Vito, Dama de Rosa wrote this big article on Channel Fireball talking about like we should extend the, the sideboard to 25 cards because that way we can fit more th- answers to different decks or, or, or whatever it have you. And I do think that the philosophy of these modal cards and these cards that give you more options that are like this card is good here, but then against this one unique strategy you'll also have these other versatile options from it has a like can allow formats that are more eternal um to have better answers for things and, and and be able to be a little bit more versatile so i think that's really cool as well more on the fun side what's the your favorite commander you've designed uh yeah that's tough uh also there's like you know the it takes a village and many many commanders uh are not mine alone for sure that i've worked on or whoever else is alone because i've worked on it um, <laughs> I think one of, one of my favorites, uh, I'm proud of most of C- the C19 ones and I did design a decent number of those. Uh, I think Grevin is pretty close to 100% mine. And I'm pretty proud of the fact that, uh, I got Josh Lee Kwai to start killing people with commander damage, uh, after his many, many, uh, stances against it and Voltron. That was just like a personal vindication to me of like yeah i can i can make you do whatever i want gosh um (laughs) so stay tuned for future voltron commanders um but no so so that one was and also i'm a huge fan of that specific story arc um like when i was a kid like tempest was one of the early booster packs that i purchased and like i checked out wrath and storm from the leesburg public library and a couple of times because i really enjoyed it uh and and i thought that the whole story of uh, Urza and Gerard, like I, I knew all those books by heart that actually all came in handy when we came back to Dominaria and I was on the world building team for it, which was a super cool experience where I wrote, I don't know, 20,000 words for the first time in my life, just a truly, truly bananas number. But yeah, like I've gotten to actually design and manifest a startling number of characters from those stories <laughs> at this point. Um, I'll probably even forget some, but like Grevin is certainly one of them. Um, but you know, there's Grevin, Gerard, Tangarth, Volrath, we're all in those decks. Uh, and I was really happy to get to, put all of those in, which it sounds like you're like, oh, obviously the fanboy like put in all those characters. That was not even my idea. It was totally Gavin Verhey's idea. He, he thought C-19 needed more recognizable characters. And I was like, okay, well, I can think about what I would do for that. Uh, and Gerard was actually in Commander Legends at that point. Uh, like that art had been commissioned literally for that set. And I told Jules, I was like, Jules, I have this idea to do like, you know, Gerard, Tangard, Fulrath, Grevin, like, the, the captain and first mate of the story arc. Like, I think it would be really cool. Like, do you, how in love are you with Gerard <laughs> in your set? And he's like, ah, you know, I like him a fair bit, but like, it's not that big a deal. So yeah, like we, we just made a swap and brought him over to C19. So like, I didn't even design Gerard. I think that card was almost straight how Jules had it in his set already. Um, and I just changed it basically not at all. When you talk about it, it's just a wild <laughs> idea that like, 
this group of you who are like all our friends from LA, like walk around wizards being like, what magic card should we design for our friends now? Like, it's just, it's just like, what? Like, you guys are like, it's like, it's just the idea of all you guys, Gavin and Andrew and you and Jules, and you're all just like hanging out. I'm like, I like all you guys. You're all people that if we're like in Vegas at a thing, I like want to go get dinner with you guys. Like, it's like my favorite people. Yeah. They're the people that make the magic cards that we play is such a, that's a bonkers reality. Uh, I, it's anyway, carry, keep going. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way many times because a lot of the people who work in Wizards now uh, with me are like, I mean, some of them obviously are like storied people who I followed when I was a literal child. Um, like I'm currently leading a set design team with uh, Dave Humphreys on it, who is someone I like followed literally before I, I could drive, like as a, a magic player. <laughs> um, so that's that's just really, uh, really cool. And then there's also, yeah, all these people who I just hung out with and, and love and, and are are good friends with like Ben Hayes and Adam Prozac and Jules uh, and even, even Abro no, uh, and Abro. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, it's that all of that stuff is kind of surreal at times for sure, because there's this very real, like, you know, small world slash huge world at the same time. If you're watching this on YouTube, please like, and subscribe and comment below uh, and, and say thank you to Glenn to, to drop in all of the knowledge bombs. Um, and then, uh, thank you to our patrons. Uh, if you want to join our patron, you get a chance to hit up this episode way early. Uh, literally, I'm going to post this unedited, ready-to-go video format on our patron as soon as uh, I wake up tomorrow because it takes that long to upload to the internet. Um, and so you get it. And then, But this is going to come out for everyone else next week. So you get really early access and uh, a bunch of other cool stuff. Plus, like we did like a whole 15-minute conversation of the greatest athlete of all time. I was just 100% <laughs> the most knowledgeable person of the three of us on the subject matter, let me tell you. I know so much about it was impressive the, uh, football. Uh, <laughs> Tom it was very Brady. impressive. Tom yeah. Brady is the best football player of all time. I, can, I don't know if you can, uh, can disagree yeah. with it. Ben was disagreeing uh, during in, it. In the midst of your of your shout outs to people, I want to give a big shout out to Ryan R. who uh, who signed up. Um, he's he's a patron, but he also sent us a really generous donation on Streamlabs uh, to support us for over the years doing this content. Sent a really wonderful message and uh, just a big shout to Ryan. Thank you so much, man, for doing that. Um, Alex, I know he was in touch with you. It's it's always really wonderful when uh, a longtime listener of the show wants to express their support like that. Um, it does mean a lot to us as as all of the time and energy that we spend on the show to, to when you express it. it. Like it really does go a long way because we just we live in a little vacuum sometimes. Alex and I just argue about the movie Heat on a podcast and we're like who's listening to this i don't know so uh, i have a bunch of fun questions to ask you it's all mostly magic related some of it's weird some of it's serious uh and and you just get to answer them to your heart's content and if you don't answer them just mention um a uh, pass um but we're gonna start with the silly one first and that is which creature on a chorea would taste best on a sandwich Ooh. <laughs> I mean, I guess wing cat's kind of the forbidden fruit, but maybe that's just like a really dark answer <laughs> to get. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, I, I'd have to go with like, I'm more of a dog person. So really, I'd, I'd love to try a cat dinosaur beast. Uh, any, any will do, um, but there's a, a particular mythic rare one that I'd be interested in. Mm. I, I would eat the crap out of a majestic oricorn. It's just, there's just something about it's majestic. It's a, I don't know. It's got an aura to it. It's like a unicorn thing. I mean, I'm, it feels like it would taste like heaven and you know, it would, I would live longer because you gain four life. I think with that card, I'm going to go with the poultry option and say porky parrot. I'm assuming it's spicy. I want to try that just like turkey dinner 
but Porky Parrot dinner. Uh, <laughs> all right. Next question. More magic related. Uh, which card from Kaldheim are you most excited to see, see play in modern? Uh, hmm. It's an interesting question. I think Realm Walker is probably like my like favorite that I think has a really, really good shot at it that, that I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, my, my like dark horse candidate would be a Ber- Bergy, Bergy. I don't remember how we landed on pronouncing that, but the, the mono red, uh, the card yeah. that yep. red mana for spells. That, that's my dark horse. Yeah. 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 We like that card a lot. I think, I think, I think it's a strong Realm Walker. We were all like questioning the three CMC would that be able to fit in and successfully mm-hmm. take the spot of another card, but it does seem like it adds such a significant advantage to multiple decks. It does feel very, very, very good. I think uh, Valky, right? How do, how do you not go with Valky a little bit there? But I know I'm not supposed to be answering all these questions also. I think, so I'll and, uh, I, I, I think right now I'm actually most excited to see what Cosima does. Uh, it's already kind of started seeing play in the format. And uh, the fact that it can do like a the landfall clue guy. But uh, she's already doing cool stuff. So that, that's pretty exciting. All right. Next question. Uh, if you were to hire a director to direct the Eldrazi movie, uh, do you hire James Cameron or Guillermo del Toro? I guess I just have to go with Cameron. I know he'll deliver uh I, I would be i think they're both great choices though yeah are there other options no, no, or just get those two, two. it's down to those two i guess i i guess the answer to the question is it's gotta probably be del toro because i don't think that uh i don't think cameron would be able to work as well with any of the sort of like magical elements. I don't like that's the magical stuff that exists in avatar as much i like cameron way more when it's like metal and steel and sci-fi and like explosions that's like a much better use of his talents even like underwater and stuff like that like the abyss like i think as soon as he gets into like magical stuff it's a lot less interesting whereas i think del toro actually really thrives with that stuff i do think that like pacific rim is sweet but like charlie hunnam is really bad in that movie and it kind of ruins it in a lot of ways um (laughs) when the kaiju hits san francisco it's like his accent is unbelievably bad um, but I do think just based on the, cr- the creature creations, like that stuff in Hellboy 2 with the moss monster and all that, I think yeah. that's where you would really see Del Toro shine. Uh, I think that would for sure be the better choice, though Though it would not be as epic. He's not capable of making a movie anywhere near as epic as Cameron. That's just not his wheelhouse. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the reasons it's an interesting choice because because uh, Cameron does epic better and Guillermo del Toro has already made movies with Eldrazi in it <laughs> for yeah. all intents and purposes. Um, all right. Next question. If you were a god on Kaldheim, what would be the type of permanent on your backside? Yes, I'll go with uh, a shield equipment. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of shields in general. Uh, and various shield choreography, I think, is really cool and underrated in a lot of fight scenes. Everyone's all about the dual swords. Give, give me a good like shield bash. Shield bashes are great. Shield's pretty good. I might just follow you up on that one. I mean, Cap's the sweetest Avenger, so Cap is like, a sweet, sweet Avenger. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna, probably, I'm gonna go with the vehicle. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do the spicier new permanent type. I gotta. Gotta drive somewhere or ride a boat or it, it could be even a boat. It could be a boat. <laughs> some sort of some sort of behemoth sled. Bumblebee of the gods. Yeah, exactly. Okay. What is your uh, new favorite hobby that you've picked up during quarantine over the last year? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, what the I've game's actually called. just cooked a lot. Um, which I basically did like not at all before in part because I was, you know, often spending eight hours of my day in a place where I did not have an oven or, or stove or refrigerator full of various ingredients. But yeah, uh, both out of like necessity of, you know, giving, giving, uh, my wife a, a plenty of breaks because we all get tired of cooking at some point for each other. Um, but I've just learned a lot of new dishes and that has been something I've never done at any other point in my life. So yeah. 
uh what is and you could you could go with either what is your average number of lands uh in your commander decks or what is the correct number of lands to put in your commander deck <laughs> you can choose how I, you want I to answer that correct uh, i tend to play like pretty heavy land synergies in my decks uh like i have a tatiova deck where like my goal was to see how high i could get the count um and like still think the deck was very strong and i think i landed at like 68 was the highest i ever had it at I, I tend to keep decks around 40 because I, I do usually have a lot of ways to, to use the excess lands or play a lot of lands with abilities. I'm like in the 35, 36 range, sometimes even like 34, 33, depending on like what I'm doing as far as the, I mean, the CMC is always pretty low in the decks, so that's the reason. But then also I like to play like Moxes and Power and stuff. Not the unfair ones, but yeah, like Amber and all those sorts of things. I, I try to be at 38 and then I am at 36 because I like cut a card because I'm like, yeah, Soul Ring's a land, cut a card. And that's how I always end up at not right. enough lands in my deck. Fast mana kind of gets you. <laughs> uh, if you could go and get a meal on any plane in Magic, which plane would you go get a meal on? I mean, we already talked about it. Oracorn, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's it peak um, magic food in any any you any any plane or universe is the oracorn to ben <laughs> yeah i think i feel like maybe kaladesh would be my answer just like you know a very technologically developed society is bound to have some really innovative cooking going on so uh that was gavin's answer actually you that, that was a question you both got and that was his exact same one if you had a child and you had to uh uh, have a planeswalker currently in magic uh, babysit for you on the regular uh which planeswalker in magic would make the best babysitter i mean teo like i'm not a huge teo fan or anything but like <laughs> the, the shields would be invaluable he's a walking child proofer like can't beat him okay now you do have dogs best best dog babysitter probably got to give that one to uh to zhang yu i think that's how, how it goes yeah you don't think I mean, there would he's be just like got competing? The he comes with a, a built-in dog. Yeah, <laughs> comes in with a built-in dog. Um, all right. If you could make a serial, uh, which magic legendary creature would be the serial mascot? If I was just in it for the money, uh, a Johnny Goldmane. Let's just put Frosted Flakes out of business. <laughs> cat on cat. Let's go. I think you got to go there with somebody with some real, like you know, pizzazz. Like I think uh, you know, maybe you go like Norrin the Wary or something. You know, or, <laughs> you know, you get Norin, or, or maybe you go like, maybe instead of Norin, you go like, um, maybe I go Fibblethip. Who does? I mean, if Fibblethip's on the box, I feel like that definitely sells. That's that's a very right now cereal. It's a woke cereal. That is that is a character <laughs> who invented himself as a mascot. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I don't I don't believe that was on purpose. <laughs> who was your first commander? And then uh, and then I have a follow up question in regards to that. Sure, my first commander. I'm not actually sure which one was first. I know the first two. Uh, I think my first commander was Mangara of Karandor, but it might have been Vendillion Clip. I can't remember which one. My first one was uh, Una, Queen of the Fae. All right. Now, uh, they have to RSVP for a wedding. Uh, are they ordering the fish, chicken, steak, or vegan option? I feel like Mangara would be the vegan option. I, I don't have like a lot of, I don't, I don't have any uh, lore to back that up. That just kind of feels like where he's coming clean, from. Clean, you know, clean, healthy. Yeah. Uh, I would have said the same for Una, you know, flying around and whatnot. But I also feel like, you know, flying around, Una's got like a lot of like mass and stuff and a lot of like little fairies. Maybe she needs like a little more food. Maybe she goes steak. 
Yeah, she's probably Una's probably she, Una's probably cutting into a steak. She's like feeding her little fairies with the steak, you know. I think I think one final question: What is your favorite breakfast cereal? Look, I, I am actually pretty boring in this department, uh, and I, I pretty much eat honey nut Cheerios to the exclusion of other things. Uh, but I add banana; that's a very important part of the food. Okay, Delicious. you're on the pro banana side of the the coin. I feel. <laughs> They they're weird tasting. Uh, <laughs> um, ben, what is your favorite Love cereal? Bananas. Favorite breakfast cereal? Um, actually, it's funny. I I mean, I have eaten a lot of Honey Nut Cheerios in my life. That's a pretty good one. Like, I don't really eat breakfast cereals anymore. I can't remember the last time I did, to be honest. But I used to really love Honey Nut Cheerios. That was very high up on my list. Do you also have bananas? No, I don't <laughs> think so. I also actually, as I got older started to really just like classic Cheerios. I just like really enjoyed Cheerios for a lot of years there. I was a big fan of regular Cheerios. I would even eat it without milk sometimes, just like handfuls of Cheerios. Actually, <laughs> I like do love cereal for like snacking. Uh, it's like yeah. a good like this doesn't feel unhealthy as if I was eating cookies or like chips or like something that's and I I realize that it's just sugar anyways, but <laughs> it doesn't feel like I'm eating sugar. Uh, my, my favorite cereal is, of course, Cracklin' Oat brand. Uh, it's the goat yeah. brand, uh, greatest of all time. Cracklin' Goat brand. Crack and, um, and hopefully one day a sponsor of this podcast. It's just, come on, Kellogg's. Let's, what, let's, let's, let's make it happen. <laughs> let's make a deal. Um, so, yeah, so that, that is, that is uh, the final question. Uh, thank you for answering all of them. And thank you, uh, listeners, for hanging out and, and uh, <laughs> yeah, as we answer these ridiculous things i want to see your answers to those questions please below uh comment what you what your answers are because i want to know which animal on ikora you want to eat more than anything it's my favorite question um anything else you want to talk about while you're here as as part of our 300th episode before we do do all the signing offs uh no it was really a pleasure to come back uh super fun and yeah i'll, I'll catch you around hopefully live at an event i know in the industry future but if not uh maybe on spell table sometime yeah yeah for sure and we do we'd love to have you on our like commander stream as well which is is always really fun and easy thank you so much for coming on it's great seeing you again i think you are one of the last people i like saw at events because i mean like there was like the four events that we went to and then we hung out in vegas uh which was really in seattle which was cool and hopefully one day we'll get to see people again um and thank you and and i'm I'm glad we were able to get you on for episode 300 thank you listeners for getting us this far it's been literally a uh almost eight six year road six i think it's six i think because it's 300 and 300 divided by 50 is six and that math checks out for once a week episodes of a podcast please uh really quickly glenn uh, let people know where they can find you on the internet if you have a place you want to throw them towards uh if not just magic content in general yeah uh i have a twitter i don't I don't remember exactly what the handle is. It's Glenn with some underscores. Uh, Glenn underscore Jones underscore is my my Twitter handle. And yeah, if you want to chat commander or complain commander or whatever, uh, that is a handle that you can use and I will read your message and I might reply to it. Who knows? It's it's really anybody's guess. And Ben, where can people find you on the internet? You guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter. Uh, That's pretty much my Twitter, my Instagram, what have you. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, that's I think that's pretty much all I have to shout out. Thanks for watching the episode, guys. We, we very much appreciate you guys being here. And, and make sure to check out every uh, Monday night. We do a commander stream at 7.30 p.m. PSD uh, with awesome guests at the release of this audio version or this week or this week we had um, Rhystic Studies on and Vorthos Mike. So uh, they were awesome, Sam and Vorth and Mike. Uh, I don't know how that game went because I'm recording this before this game happens, but they they did great. And Ben, honestly, was I was disappointed with how terrible <laughs> I, you did. I, 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 I won. I won. And I, and I took you out early. Perfect. Perfect. I know what to defend I myself. I won. <laughs> um, and so every Monday night, 730. But that video lives on the YouTube channel forever. So so you can check that out. Uh, and uh, this we are now releasing multiple videos a week on the YouTube channel. So please check that out. Audio only uh, people and anyone listening to this for the first time, please like and subscribe. Uh, do all of the like, I'm a content creator and I'm reading all the things you're supposed to do. You've watched a YouTube video before. They've told you what to do. Do that. But here. Uh, and then I'm at Kess Wiley on everything, including where we uh, live stream twitch.tv slash Kess Wiley, but also Twitter, Instagram, and all of the places. And uh, last but not least, if you go to a store that's like a Walmart or a Target and you see a light up hoop, buy it. Buy all of the light up hula hoops you see in the world and uh, tweet me at it about it because I'm I'm hyped that I now wear all of the hoops at Walmart and Target this starting today, basically. So that's hype. Uh, and thank you, Glenn, for joining. And thank you for starting this podcast with me 300 episodes ago. Uh, and thank you, Very Ben, for, 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 you know, passing the baton or carrying the baton, having a baton. I've, I've done a bit of work here to keep it going for you, man. But I hope I've done you a solid here <laughs> with, the, with the filling in for you while you're gone. <laughs> Very, very much so. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you uh, next week and all those other times I just listened out. Bye, guys. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.